Hello, and welcome to The Dense Muffin. My name is Thaddeus, and if you're new to the show, allow me to explain what The Dense Muffin is. This podcast is about good conversation with a new guest every show as we dive into the questions that all Christians ponder on in their faith while glorifying God in the process. Please take note that myself and my guests are not experts on any topic, but are fascinated by conversations about Christianity and the nature of God. So thank you for listening today and enjoy the episode. And welcome back to The Dense Muffin. My name is Thaddeus, and this is the second part to our Christmas special, A Very Dense Christmas, uh, featuring my wife, Elisha. Please enjoy this episode, and if you have any feedback for us uh, afterwards, please send us a voice message uh, so that we may hear from you, the audience. Again, please enjoy this episode, and I hope that you have a very Merry Christmas. We now want to talk about uh, the more dense topic of when Jesus was born. Oof. Yeah. Um, This topic is widely discussed among scholars and, and theologians on when specifically was Jesus born in, in date, date-wise? Mm-hmm. Like, was he born December 25th, or do we just recognize him on that day, or d- just recognize it on that day? Or was he born in the springtime, you know, mm-hmm. May or March or something like that? Mm-hmm. Um, and so we, past couple of days, we've been doing some research on this topic, and uh, we are going to share with you now what we, we absolutely know for fact, uh, from the Bible, um, and from other theological scholarly, uh, essays. Um, and then what we suspect would have happened or what was happening during that time. Mm -hmm. And then what we don't know too. Right. Um, we all, we would just want to include all of those things because it's important to to admit that we don't know everything. Um, because we weren't there. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, they didn't have cameras or date calendars. Back. <laughs> well, they did have calendars, but they didn't have like, I don't know. Social media. Social they media. post like hashtag Jesus was born today. Yeah. Or, my new baby. Yeah. Or, uh, have little year flashback app that, comes, yeah. that brings up everything. Um, so yeah, we will get into the nose, the things that we do know right now. Uh, so Sure. Um, I do want to preface this by saying that, like, I know Thad has already, um, in his intro, um, your intro episode, you specified that, like, your guests, you and your guests are not experts. And I want to emphasize that. And I also want to emphasize the fact that none of what we've discovered or not this topic in general, like when Jesus was born in the calendar does not affect our our faith in the fact that he was born Mm. and he was born in Bethlehem and that he's our savior. Like it's more of one of those, if you've ever heard of the kind of the, the, the target analogy. So like in levels of importance of beliefs in term Mm -hmm. to, 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 um, sanctification. Right. So at the center is the stuff that like you have to believe to be saved. You have to believe that Jesus came, he was born he died for our sins. He was resurrected. He was fully God, fully man. All of that important stuff is in the middle. For us, this is more of like a fifth or sixth ring out thing. It's not important mm-hmm. to our faith life. It's not going to change mm-hmm. our spiritual destination. But it is something interesting to talk about. Yeah. And I mean, also, I don't think it should it should divide Oh, people. gosh, no. Like... This is a topic that can be discussed with friends and it should be for, family and just conversation. You yeah. know, you don't have to be arguing about all these things. Um, right. You shouldn't have to be creating division within your church about when Jesus was born. Because it's not important. It's not important. It's not important to your faith. Um, we And it could be that we just celebrate 20, the 25th of December as a recognition right. in remembrance of Jesus being born. Right. And even if he was born in the spring, I'm going to continue to celebrate Christmas on the 25th because right. that is the tradition in the church. Right. You know, um, it, and we can remember it in 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 the winter time or in the springtime. It doesn't really matter to me. You know. I mean, yeah, you should. 
I think you should always be celebrating the birth of Jesus. Exactly. Every day of the year. Exactly. So just pick one day to make it extra special. Yeah. So all of that being said, um, like Thad said, don't use it as a tool to argue. It, it shouldn't start an argument. It should be a fun discussion, a fun thought exercise. Mm. Um, and that's what it's been for me the past couple of days because I kind of thought like, oh, of course, like I had heard a while ago, like he was born in the spring and like in high school or something like yeah. this. Um, and that's because this, this, and this, this. So I was like, oh, okay. So maybe he was born in the spring. And then I went about my life. And then I met Thad and he showed me this really cool article that said like, no, actually, and we'll talk about that in a hot sec. Um, no, actually, he probably potentially was born in December. And then the more that we dug into and so then I kind of ascribed to that. And I was like, okay, cool. Um, and then the more that we dug into it the last couple of days, the more that we realized like there really is no one right answer to this right. and we was kind of joking with him yesterday i was like why did we think that the two of us untrained yeah. the, you know like uh -huh. not professional theologians right. could come up with an answer that scholars and theologians and historians have been debating for thousands of years right you know so that's something important to keep in mind is that yes. we're probably not going to come to the answer yes but let's try <laughs> let's try let's try all right Pardon me, coffee. All right. So what do we know? Well, we know, and, and this kind of stuff, I limited to things that we pulled out of the Bible, right? Because as Christians, we believe that the Bible is the inerrant word of God. And so above all else, I'm going to believe this. Mm -hmm. um, so here's what we know. He was born in Bethlehem. We do know that. That's important. Yes. Um, he was conceived in his Aunt Elizabeth during his Aunt Elizabeth's sixth month of her pregnancy with John the Baptist. Yeah. That's in Luke. And we'll cover that in a second. We'll we'll pull provide references for all of these yeah. in a second. I just want to go through the list. Yeah. Um, Jesus was actually conceived during Gabriel's visit because in that verse he talks to Mary as if she's already with child. Um, we know uh, our good friend the Magi were from the east. They saw a star. They stopped briefly at Jerusalem and talked, spoke with spoke with Herod. Then they went to Bethlehem. What I would like to point out at this point, what we don't know about that is exactly when that happened. We don't know how old Jesus was. Right. And we'll get to that in a second. We know that John the Baptist. This is important for trying to date Jesus. This is so this is relevant. John the Baptist was conceived after his father Zechariah's priestly rotation at the temple ended. We know that Herod had reason to believe that Jesus could be up to two years old when he killed yeah. all of the innocents. Right. And we know, according to Levitical law, that Jesus would have been presented at the temple at 41 days old. Seems like a random list of facts, but if you look into the, when we look into the scriptural passage, we'll, we'll know. Mm -hmm. So then Thad, do you want to go into kind yeah. of where our suspicions lie? Yes. So here's what we suspect. Uh, Jesus was conceived in the sixth, sixth calendar month based on uh, the dative case used in Luke 126 and uh, the case in 136. And we'll get into that. That's more along the lines of what it says in the Greek. Mm -hmm. And then also... The debate with that, though, is which calendar is that based off of? Yes. Because at this point in history, there were two calendars used. There was the Syro-Macedonian that was used by part of the world or some people in the world. And then there was the Roman calendar. Mm -hmm. And they started during di at, on different days. Like their New right. Year's Day was on different days. Right. The thing is that when Matthew wrote his gospel... The Romans were had taken over, mm -hmm. and they probably would have installed their calendar. Right. But it doesn't mean that the Syro-Macedonian calendar wasn't being used still. By people of Greek By origin. By people of Greek like origin. Like Luke. Like Luke. We suspect there are two visits to Bethlehem. By the Holy Family. By the Holy Family. Uh, Joseph, Mary, and Jesus. Mm -hmm. um, first one being? When he was born. When he was born. The second one being up to two years later. Up to two years later, there are there are different events uh, recorded in Luke and Matthew that lend, lead us to believe that it was different. The, so the order of events from their being in Bethlehem to when they returned to Nazareth, there were different events that happened in Matthew than in Luke, um, and the way they're recorded makes us believe potentially 
they weren't just left out of that gospel or the other one. So diving into what, uh, how we know what we know, mm -hmm. we know that he was born in Bethlehem. Right. Um, because there would have been a census done by Caesar, right? Right. So not only do we have, obviously, multiple biblical accounts of the fact that Jesus was born in Bethlehem, which as Christians we're taking as the ultimate truth, right? But like Thad was saying, there would have been a governmental census, right? Mm -hmm. We all know that in the Luke account, in those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. Um, there's actually records of censuses being taken yeah. that can place Mary and Joseph in Bethlehem. We didn't actually look into those, excuse me, but they would have existed. Yeah. Um, so, right, and Jesus had to be born in Bethlehem to fulfill the prophecy oh, yeah. that the Savior would come through Bethlehem. Yeah. Um, so that's what we know. I'm not going to spend too much time on that because I feel like that's right. Would you agree with that? Yeah, that's okay. It's fairly well accepted and easy to prove. Yeah. Um, the next thing that we said that we know was that Jesus was conceived during Elizabeth's sixth month of pregnancy, which also is going to tie into John the Baptist being conceived after his father's rotation at the temple ended. All right, so looking backwards, so the birth of Jesus is talked about in Luke 2. The birth of John the Baptist is talked about in John, or Luke 1, Luke excuse one. me. Yeah. He's John, this is Luke. Um, so we, I, I, I think we might all be familiar with the story of John the Baptist. Elizabeth and Zechariah were old in age. Um, Elizabeth was barren. Elizabeth was barren. She can have kids. Right. Um, and so in Luke 1, 5, it says, In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abiha. Now, I might be butchering that pronunciation, but that's how I'm reading it. He had a wife from the daughter of Aaron. Her name was Elizabeth. They were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. But they had no child because Elizabeth was barren and both were advanced in years. Um, so that's important, right? If they're going to have a baby, it was going to be a miracle. Right. So Zechariah served as a priest, and the priestly division served in a, a specified rotation. Um, I can't remember if it was one division would serve for X amount of months, or if it was one month, um, or if it was one year. I don't I don't know for sure. Yeah, I've learned the, the timeline of how long they serve oh I okay can't, i can't remember oh okay so that's something that you could look into um and we um if we had had i mean this is just so deep we didn't have time to go into all of our little avenues um yeah. we were more concerned with how we could um kind of pinpoint a timeline if, so anyway so it, it, we don't know exactly when right but we know that it's important because it's written down in temple records which division served when. So there's a record of it. Mm -hmm. um, so it says, while he, Zechariah, was serving as a priest, while his division on duty, according to the custom, he was chosen by lot to temple the temp temple of enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. So this is the Holy of Holies, which if you've talked about temple structure at all, there's different rooms and chambers that different people were allowed to go in yep. there was the common area where anybody jew gentile could come and be and maybe worship and maybe learn and then there was the inner that only jewish men were allowed into and then there was beyond that where only priests were allowed and i'm butchering this i'm sure there's other divisions but there was one room you're just paraphrasing i'm paraphrasing you're right thank you uh there was one room in the temple that was called the holy of holies and it was where god resided the spirit of the lord resided Obviously, this is before Pentecost, before he lived within us. Um, mm -hmm. The Lord lived there. And once a year, one priest would go back there, burn incense, and present the prayers of the people and offerings to the Lord in the spirit. And this is when he had a rope tied to him and he had bells on his yeah. robe so that if he fell over dead and the bell stopped jingling, they knew to pull him out. Yeah. Um, so this was Zechariah's job this day was to go in potentially risk his life to see God, to be in the presence of God mm -hmm. and burn incense, which is a huge responsibility. Most priests would ne would never get the, the opportunity to do this. So it was a hugely small chance that it was Zechariah's chance. So he was chosen by lots. So he went in the spirit of the Lord. Uh, there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar. 
The angel said to him, do not be afraid, for your prayer has heard. I believe this was Gabriel. Um, yeah, I am Gabriel. In verse 19, the angel answered, I am Gabriel. Mm-hmm. Um, Zechariah challenged it. Gabriel silenced him. John the Baptist was born uh, eventually. Mm-hmm. So in we're looking at verse 24 now because this is important, when John the Baptist was conceived. So it says, uh, back in 23 actually, and when his time of service was ended, he went to his home. After these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived, and for five months she kept herself hidden, saying, Thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked upon me to take away my reproach among people. So this is where we're getting our information that we know that John was conceived shortly after Zechariah's priestly rotation in the temple ended. Right, and then then it was six months later when... Uh, Gabriel visited Mary. Right, which we get into in the next verse. Right. Um, like, there's the month after Zechariah, or there's five months after Zechariah's end of term that she that Elizabeth was hidden, you know. Four or five months, yeah. Four or five months. Yeah. And then on, in the sixth month. Yeah. So then, yeah, so then yeah. we jump to verse 26. And this is where we're going to kind of get into, well, this verges on the category of things we suspect. Right. Um, but bear with us. So the next verse says, in the sixth month, the angel, angel Gabriel was sent to a virgin betrothed to a man. Her name was Mary. Um, so this is the sixth month that we're talking about in Greek with things that we suspect, which we'll get into more later. But if you fast forward a few verses to verse 36, this for sure pinpoints that Jesus was conceived during Elizabeth's sixth month of pregnancy. Mm -hmm. It says, and behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month with her, Mm -hmm. who is called barren. So this pin, this gives us as close to a day as we can get of the day that Jesus was conceived. And then we can just fast forward nine months, yeah, um, 40 weeks. Of course, we don't know the exact date. Right. Like, that would be something we'd have to look at yeah. given Zechariah's priestly yeah. rotation. But this gives us a day when Jesus was conceived. Right, a timeline. A, a timeline. Right, yeah. right. Based on Elizabeth's pregnancy. Yes. Um. Which you'd think would be easier to sort out, but again, that's where the calendar debate comes in. So that's what we know for sure. Oh, and the why we know that Jesus was um, conceived while Gabe was there visiting, and the angel departed from her. Verse thirty-eight, verse thirty-nine. In those days, Mary arose and went out with haste into the hill city, into a town called Judah, and she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth Heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Um, so G- Mary was pregnant with Jesus by the time she went to visit Elizabeth. That much is certain. Yeah. Now, as far as how are we positive that Jesus was conceived when Gabriel was visiting Mary? Well, because because it says in those days, right? That can mean a lot of things. So I can see where the confusion would roll in yeah. of like, maybe she waited a few weeks or maybe she waited up to a month or whatever. Right. But the reality of it is that she didn't Yeah. because... Can I say something? Yeah. So the word, when they use the phrase in those days, uh, the the word those, it, it means it was near. Like mm. it was a near date. No. Oh. These, though, like if you were to use the word these, so if they were to said in these days, it would have been a far date. You're talking about the Greek word used Yeah, there? the Greek word oh, there. Okay. So the, the Greek word for those and these it, it matters on, like, the context of the phrase. So if they say, in those days, it means that it was it was a near to the point of that's cool. the conception of Jesus. I did not know that. Yeah. Oh, that's I, good to know. I just remember that. Oh, wow. <laughs> uh, I was going off of something that came a few verses later. But um, that's cool that it's backed up by the language. Yeah. Um, so what I was going off of was um, we fast forward quite a ways to the end of Mary's visit. Verse uh, chapter one, verse fifty-six. It says, "And Mary remained with her for about three months and returned to her home." Now the time came for Elizabeth to give birth, and she bore a son. That's verse fifty-seven. Um, so 
Mary was there for three months, and John wasn't born while she was there, which means, again, that yeah. she would have had to leave almost immediately after Gabriel visited her in order to make it and stay with Mary, with Elizabeth for three months right. before the baby was born if Elizabeth was already in her sixth month of pregnancy. Right. So that's, again, you know, a pretty good indication that Jesus was conceived yeah, during Gabriel's of, visit. Yeah. Yes, yes, yes. Um, yeah, which is in the sixth month. Which is in the sixth month. Elizabeth's pregnancy. So we've pretty well pinpointed down when in Elizabeth's timeline Jesus was conceived. If we can just pinpoint when Elizabeth, when John was conceived, that's the tricky part. Um, that would give us more of a relative date. Yeah, yeah, better idea of what date. So then we can just fast forward nine months to when Jesus would have been born. Right. Um, all right, what else do we... No, for sure. Do you have it? Sorry, do you have anything else on that one? No. Otherwise, I'm going to move on to the Magi. Okay, so the next thing that we know for sure, and this is going to take us back to Matthew's account of the gospel. So if you have a Bible, flip back there, because it's kind of interesting to look at it in the text. Um, so we're back in Matthew chapter 2, um, because chapter 1 is just the uh, genealogy of Jesus and the foretelling of the birth. Um and then he's born right at the end of verse 1, So, or chapter 1. So um, chapter 2 talks about the Magi, the wise men. Um, so here's what we know about them, for sure. We know they were from the east. We know they saw a star, what they believed to be a star, what they called a star. Mm -hmm. We know that they stopped and spoke to Herod, which would have been at his palace in Jerusalem, most likely. And we know that after they left Herod, they went to Bethlehem, and then they returned home yep. after seeing it and um, receiving a dream from God. Um, so that's what we know about them, and all of that comes from chapter two. Mm. It's right there, it's right there. Um, in the first twelve verses, actually. Um, so it says, literally, verse one: In the days of Herod, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem saying, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? So we, For we saw his star when it rose, and have come to worship him. So they came to Jerusalem, spoke with Herod, followed a star to get there. Pretty straightforward. Then after this, fast forward, they found out it was in Bethlehem. So Herod summoned the wise men secretly, ascertained from them what time the star had appeared, and he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, go and search diligently. Mm -hmm. uh, then they went, they found... The star went, went before them to Bethlehem until it came to rest. They rejoiced. They gave the gifts. They worshipped. They were warned in a dream not to go back to Herod. So they went to their own country, returned to their own country. Yep. A lot of people have um, speculated that these men are from Mesopotamia or Persia. Persia. Both are really good options because they're both east of Jerusalem. And they both had a high population. They, they had a low population of Jewish people and a high population of people who believed in astrology mm. um, and, high, and learned people who studied. Right. Which, being surrounded by the Jewish culture and the Jewish tradition, the Magi would have heard about the prophecy of the coming Messiah. Right. Because they came and asked specifically for the king of the Jews. Exactly. Which means they had some contact with Jewish culture. Exactly. It's interesting to know that these guys who did not believe in God became fascinated with the legend basically mm -hmm, of the that. coming Messiah mm -hmm. to the Jews and we can suspect that they started studying the stars or that they they it's more likely I I believe I think at least that they were already astrologers people who studied the right. stars no, to I mean, find yeah, yeah. events if they were if they were astrologers, they would have already been studying the stars mm -hmm. for astronomical events mm -hmm. happening. I think it's just interesting that God used these guys. Oh yeah, to fulfill this this prophecy in a mm -hmm. way, uh, fulfill this journey. Yeah, you know, um, it's just it's. I'm just reflecting on the the grand mass yeah. almighty power of God right. in our reality. Um, because he's outside of our reality and he can use whoever he wants right. to fulfill his kingdom. Yeah. So weirdly enough, it sounds like he used kind of a, a, a pagan ideology to bring people to Jesus, Right. you know, to communicate with people because that's what he met 
better way to say it is he met them where they were at. Right. They believed in astrology. They believed in signs and symbols. And so he used that to draw them closer to him. Literally. Literally. And then they worshipped Jesus. And then they returned to their own country, which I have to believe then means they took Christianity back with them with a, a stronger force. Mm-hmm. I hadn't thought about that. Like I'd thought about the symbolism of them being non-Jewish people coming for the Jewish Messiah. Like that's cool. Like he's from his birth, he's bringing in the Gentiles. But like to think about the fact that like, yeah, like, mm-hmm. you know, God used what they were studying, even though it wasn't him yeah. to bring them in. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. Aw. So I dig it. Um, yeah, so back to what we were talking Yeah, so saying. that's so is that all that we know about the Magi? Yes. Okay. So then kind of tangenting off of them, quite possibly one of the worst and saddest passages in the birth story is the fact that the killing of the innocent, as it's called in some translations. Um, it's chapter two, verse 16. Um, Herod, um, is afraid of his political rival that he believes was born. Mm -hmm. Um, the king of the Jews, like that, he was the the king of the region, essentially. Like that would frighten him. Right. Because he's, he's expecting an invasion from another country or another kingdom right exactly it's a threat to his power yeah Yeah. and so that's why he sent the the magi to find the child and they were to report back to him but they didn't and so in you know verse 16 when he saw that he'd been tricked by the wise men he became furious he sent and killed all the male children in bethlehem and in all that region who were two years old or under according to the time that he had ascertained from the wise men um, this was, of course, to fulfill a prophecy that was in the Old Testament. So, I mean, some people would ask, why would God send the Magi to Herod, knowing that he was just going to try to kill Jesus? But it actually was necessary, because, he, I mean, it, it, it fulfilled prophecies, one, but it also began to set Jesus as at odds with the current government, which he was yeah. going to be his whole life. Yeah. Um, this is just like the first account right. of Even, his life right. where political and government governments, political powers and governments would have been threatened by him. Exactly. Or even, and, and he was a baby. He was an infant. He was an infant. Yeah. Like, it, it says a lot. It speaks volumes about the, the, the greatness of the Lord Jesus yeah. Yeah. being just a baby and King Herod, who was infamous yeah. in the region. Yeah. Okay. So why is this significant then to our study of when Jesus was born? The reason is that two years old or under part. Um, so this we put this in, our, in the no column because something that the wise men said when they met with him in secret back in verse 7, something that they said led Herod to believe that Jesus could have been up to two years old at the time of the Magi's visit. Yeah. Because um, why else would Herod kill two years and under? Exactly. So something, so this kind of leads us into what we suspect yeah. regarding the appearance of the star and the double visits to Bethlehem that we mentioned earlier. Right. So then we started asking yesterday when we were doing this research, we started asking why in the world would Herod believe that Jesus could be two years old? Because in our, you know, the way that we have our nativity set up is that the Magi were there when Jesus was a baby in the stable, Um, which actually there's a few things in the Matthew passage besides just the, like, the two years old thing. There's a few other things that led us to believe that maybe this was a different visit to Bethlehem that the Magi found Jesus during. Um, Okay, so the first one, is the language. Um, Back in uh, verse 11, um, it says that they, and going to the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshiped him. I mean, all of us that know the Christmas story, Jesus was born in a stable Mm -hmm. behind an inn. By no means would you call that a house. So that's, that's the first thing that makes you a little suspicious of, wait, 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 I thought Jesus was in a manger. Like that's my nativity. Jesus, baby Jesus lying in a manger surrounded by animals. And the wise men are there. Yeah. 
but that might not be the case, right? If we see house, like nobody would call that a house. No. It was, all, by all means, by all likelihood, it was a cave. It, yeah, it would have been a cave. In a hill, right? Because that's yeah. what they use for stables, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. Yeah. So, okay, firstly, house, suspect. Secondly, the two years old thing. Why in the world would Herod have any reason to believe that Jesus was two years old if he had just been born? Like if the wise men had come, seen a star, come to visit, found Jesus in a manger as a baby, why would they have told Herod that they had seen the star two years previously? Right. Right? Yeah. And, the, and, and that's not spelled out precisely, but that's what I surmised from the fact that he thought he could be two years old. Like, oh, the appearance of the star means that the king was born. Yeah. Which means he was potentially born two years ago, yeah. right? Okay, so that so we've got the house that's mentioned, not the stable. We've got a house. And then secondly, we have Herod killing two-year-olds, mm -hmm. you know, for some, some because he believed he could potentially be that old, right? The next thing that we, that we noticed and that um, we noticed with the help of um, a website that we're going to put in the show notes, right? Yeah. Um, the website itself is called nowozone.com. But they have a section talking about New Testament chronology, specifically the exact dating and birth and crucifixion, exact dating of the birth and crucifixion of Jesus, which is that article that I mentioned um, early earlier in the show um, that Thad showed me about um, what that kind of led me to believe that Jesus could have been born in December. Yeah. Um, so that's where we're getting a lot of this, or it was kind of our jumping off point that led into studying a bunch yeah, of things. So I want to give credit where credit is due. Yeah. Um, okay, so back to Matthew. The order of events surrounding the the like the Holy Family being in Bethlehem and then returning to Nazareth. The I mentioned earlier that there were different events recorded in Matthew and Luke that happened between the time that we know that the Holy Family was in Bethlehem and the time that they returned to Nazareth, right? Mm -hmm. So, um, and I, I'm by no means, I'm I'm not entirely positive. Like, this is why this is in my suspect column, is because I don't know for sure that this is two different visits to Bethlehem, but it is interesting to think about, maybe. Mm -hmm. Okay, so back to the Luke account, because it's the simpler one. Um, so in Luke 2, Jesus is, here's a brief summary of, of events. Jesus is born... The angels um, bring the shepherds to visit, and then he was circumcised at eight days, and then he was presented at the temple, which would have been at 41 days. That's something we know for sure. Mm -hmm. He would, would have been presented at the temple, according to the law of, law of Moses, at 41 days. So we know that. Then we go through this. He meets Simeon and Anna. Um, so then, immediately after that, in verse 39, so they're at the temple, um, they meet Simeon and Anna, and immediately after that, in 39, it says, And when they had performed everything according to the law of the Lord, they returned into Galilee, to their own town of Nazareth. And the child grew up and became strong, filled with wisdom. Okay, so keep that in mind. In Luke's account, it sounds like, and it's pretty, I mean, straightforward, that the Holy Family visited the temple at 41 days old, and then immediately returned to Nazareth. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Okay. So, but if we look at Matthew's account, here's the, the the events. Jesus was born at the end of chapter one. Then nothing. And then it says, now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem in the days of Herod the king. So not as 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 precisely like in those days, right? Mm -hmm. Like it's not not definitive language. It's just now after. Now after, which an unspecified time. Yeah. The Magi came, spoke to Herod, went to Bethlehem, found Jesus in a house with Mary, his mother, worshipped him, gave him gifts. They returned home. Now, here's what it says. This is definitively happens, verse 13. This definitively happens after the Magi left, like immediately. Because it says, now when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, rise, take the child and his mother and flee. Immediately after the Magi's visit, the family flees to Egypt hmm. and remains there for years. I don't remember how long, um, but a certain number of undetermined time. Mm -hmm. So then the family flees to Egypt and then Herod kills all of the children in the area. Mm -hmm. 
And then after Herod died, which we do know for certain happened in 4 BC, yeah. an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph and said, Rise, take the child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel, for those who sought the child's life are dead. So he rose, took the child, went to Israel, but he was afraid because he didn't want to return to Judea mm -hmm. because of who was ruling. Which is Herod's son. Herod's son. So being warned in another dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee and lived in the city called Nazareth, which is their home city. Right. Which to me, it's interesting that, side note, it's interesting that Nazareth is introduced as a town in Galilee called Nazareth. Mm -hmm. Like, it's their hometown. Yeah. Like, they were from there before Jesus was born. Yeah. Um, and it says that in, earlier in Matthew, so I don't know what to do with that. But this seems to me that the timeline of is airtight from the time the Magi visited to the time they returned to Nazareth. Like, it's a completely different timeline. Like, there's no mention of the temple. There's no mention of presentation. And they didn't return immediately to Bethlehem when Jesus was 41 days old. Yeah. So one theory that I read that I'm kind of potentially jiving with for now well, until I do more research, is that this visit to Bethlehem in Matthew was when Jesus was a little bit older, potentially mm -hmm. up to two years, which is why Herod would think he was two years old. Right. And the family was visiting Bethlehem for, a, uh, or yeah, would have been visiting Bethlehem for another celebration or something, or maybe they were visiting family yeah, or, or like they were celebrating a Passover in Bethlehem. And the reason that they're in a house is because they were staying potentially with people they had met on their first visit to Bethlehem when Jesus was born. Like this is all speculation. Some, some family friends or something. Right. Like, this is all speculation. Like we can't find this in the Bible, mm -hmm. but it would m help make sense of the timeline is that Jesus was born. They did the temple thing. They took him home. They went to Nazareth. Then on a later visit, an unspecified amount of time later, they went to Bethlehem for a celebration. The Magi visited then when Jesus was a toddler. And then, um, and then, because that would help make sense, because immediately after the Magi's visit, they fled to Egypt and then, you know, lived there and then returned to Nazareth. So, I mean, that's the only way that I can make sense of the, fa of, of the discrepancy, because it just doesn't feel like, and, and, and please, if somebody has some better insight into this, let us know, because I, I, I'm, you know, I'm just, I just don't know. This is what I'm doing with the facts that I see in the scripture, is I'm thinking maybe this was a different visit when Jesus was older, because then it would be a little more in line right. with the immediacy of the timeline between the Magi's visit and the flight to Europe, to Egypt. Also, because Luke doesn't mention the flight to Egypt in his um, account of the birth which is super important because there's a, a prophecy about, thus I called my son, out of Egypt I called my son. Yeah, which and is mentioned in Matthew. Matthew, yeah, Matthew 2, 15. Right. So there was a prophecy that Jesus had to be called out of Egypt. Luke doesn't mention that, though, which Jeez. seems out of character for Luke because for Luke, he's so detail-focused. Right. He's an intelligent man. Right, he's a doctor, right? So he's known to be the one that focuses on details. And so why would he skip over an entire prophecy-based trip to Egypt. Because then after the return to Nazareth, the next time we see Jesus in Luke's account in verse 41 is he's 12. Hmm. It just says the boy grew up strong and filled with wisdom and the favor of God was upon him. So it's, I mean, it's, I think potentially he left out the trip to Egypt because Luke was written after Matthew. Right. So the trip to Egypt was already covered in Matthew. Right. He probably didn't see it important. Like, right. Or... His... Right, there was already, I mean, Matthew was widely circulated by the time Luke was written. Right. So people knew Jesus had gone to Egypt and been called out at some point in his childhood. Right. So then the next thing that is interesting and that we suspect is not only was Jesus um, conceived in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, but also potentially the sixth calendar month. Right. Um, and you know a little bit more about that because you were looking at it in the actual... Um, Koine Greek? Yeah, Koine Greek, which is common Greek. It's what the New Testament was translated from. Uh, it's what the New Testament, uh, sorry, the New Testament was written in uh, when the, the disciples wrote the books, mm, okay. uh, when Paul wrote the books too. Um, they were all written in Koine Greek, which is common Greek, which I think is like seven different dialects of Greek. Oh, really? Put into one. Wow. Uh, so they took words and phrases and like, ways of spelling things from different these different dialects mm -hmm. and put them into one language. That's 
so that all all people with the dialects of Greek could read it oh, cool. and understand it. That's cool. I want to reiterate, I'm not an, ex an expert in, in the Greek language. I, I've only taken about two semesters of it, um, which is still is a good amount of, of study. But mm -hmm. uh, I will say that um, whatever I say here, if someone out there knows more than I do, I'm, I'm proud of you. Like, I don't... <laughs> I don't, I didn't expect anything uh, less, um, but you would welcome, I would welcome some feedback yeah. uh, if you agree with us. So in Luke chapter one, verse 26, it says in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to the city of Galilee uh, named Nazareth, which this is where he told Mary that she would be uh, pregnant with a, a son mm -hmm. by the whole conceived by the Holy Spirit. Mm -hmm. So I'm reading in the New Test, the Greek New Testament right now, um, and the two verses that we're going to look at is verse 26 and verse 36. Um, in in verse 26, the case for which it says in the sixth month is dative. It's a dative case. So then, what exactly is a case? in a language. So basically, case in a scholarly definition mm -hmm. is a, a linguistic term uh, used regarding the manner of categorizing nouns, pronouns, adjectives, etc. according to their traditionally corresponding grammatical functions within a given phrase, sentence, or clause. It's a mouthful. Yeah. But to make it more, more sense to the Greek, uh, Greek language has four widely known cases uh, and then one minor case that we won't really get into. Um, but the four widely used uh, cases are nominative, genitive, dative, and accusative. Mm -hmm. And uh, I'll just go ahead and like explain all of them. Okay. And then I will uh, narrow down to just the one that is used in the text. So the nominative case is it represents the object of or the subject of the sentence. An example of that would be men see apostles. Uh, the word men is in the nominative case because it's the subject of the sentence. Oh, okay. Uh, then the genitive case shows possession, mm -hmm. so it's representing the possessor, um, like. For instance, the wisdom of men. Of men is the genitive case, is in the genitive case because it's showing possession. The wisdom is the men's wisdom. Oh, okay. So the dative case uh, is representing the indirect object, which, for instance, the sentence would be, he gave gifts to men. Mm -hmm. To, the word to and the word for are usually what are used when you, that's how you can identify the dative case. Okay is if it's for someone or if it's to something, like you give something to someone, mm -hmm. the to someone or the for someone represents the dative case. So Because that's the indirect object. Right? Because that's the indirect object. Oh, yeah, that's okay. correct. So like he is the subject, mm -hmm. gifts are the direct object, mm -hmm. and the indirect object is to men, is the men. Yeah. Right? So the two would be part of the indication of the dative case. Right. Okay. So then accusative, the, uh, the last one, uh, is it represents the object of the sentence. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, in that instance, gifts would be the object. So, like, he gave gifts. What did he do? He gave, no. What did he, what did he give? give? He gave gifts. He gave gifts. So, gifts is the object. object which so, is in the accusative case. So, that would be in the accusative case. Okay. Yeah. And there can be multiple cases in a sentence. Okay. So it's not just relevant to one sentence or one case. But the dative case, going back to that one, that is mainly being used here in the text in uh, Luke one twenty six. I will go ahead and put something in the description uh, for this episode so that you guys can follow along um, with what I'm talking about. So... Because it's it's easier to see visually. Yes. Because the case is denoted by certain markings on the words, right? Right. right. And Koine Greek is also a reading language and a writing language. It's not a spoken language. 
okay. anymore. So it's really hard to explain because you can't really speak it. Right. It's it's a written thing. It's a written thing. Because there's there's visual cues to help you figure out what case it's in. Exactly. So in this uh, in the text, um, the the clause is in the sixth month. So uh, in the Greek, it says "ende uh, to many to ecto," which um, to ecto is six or ektos is six in Greek. Um, but since it's in the dative case, it makes it the word sixth with a th at the end because it's the indirect object of the clause, or it's the it's the adjective explaining many, which is month, and to many is also in the dative case, so those two go together. Can I ask what, yeah. um, visually, what tells you it's in the dative case? So visually what tells you, uh, oh yeah, so the visual indicator that something is in the dative case, um, in the description you'll see that uh, to ecto, uh, I'm pronouncing it that way because uh, the second letter in to is uh, omega with a, a yoda underneath. So for those of you who don't read Greek like me, um, to, the word he's talking about, is the one that looks like it has a T-W with a squiggly on top of it and a little like goatee underneath it. Yeah. That's exactly what it is. <laughs> yep. And ecto is pronounced the same way because the article is changed to dative. So it's to and mm -hmm. ectos would be changed to ecto. So ectos means six. Yes. And it's, ectos would be a masculine word that gets transformed when it's in the dative case to ecto. Okay. So... Okay, so then it means sixth. It's basically saying like in the sixth month. And since we see that, um, we'll, we'll see this in 36, how it's different um, from this verse because, well, you know what? It's probably, I'll just, I'll just jump to 36 because I'll, I'll come back to this 26. Um, so in 36, uh, and it said, it says, um, and behold, Elizabeth, your relative, uh, is also um, with child or pregnant uh, with a son uh, in her old age. Um, Do you want me to read it out of the English yes, Bible instead yes, of the please. Greek? Yes, <laughs> I'm reading it straight out of Greek, and I'm having a hard time. It's impressive to watch you translate on the fly, but yeah. um, okay. So for those of you who have your English Bible in front of you, it says, "And behold, your relative Elizabeth, in her old age, has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month with her who was called barren." Yes. So the words we're looking at, uh, Elizabeth, the subject, and the so since Elizabeth is a woman. All of her articles, which are like thes, mm -hmm. so the or words that pertain to her would be in feminine, uh, a feminine declension. I'm probably wrong about that, and I can see my Greek teacher being so disappointed <laughs> in that. Um, but uh, it's a feminine noun so all the words that connected to her would be in the feminine gender so for instance main ectos which is uh sixth month like she like elisha said in the english translation can you read that part again uh and this is the sixth month with her yeah this verse in 36 um it says in her sixth month or the sixth month of her who was barren. Mm -hmm. So the difference between this word sixth month, or this two words sixth month, and 26 is sixth month, mm -hmm. is the, uh, the feminine declension. I know that's going to be, my teacher is going <laughs> to just be so upset that I use that <laughs> phrase, but I'm going to use it. 
um, the the feminine declension of the whole subject, which is Elizabeth, would mean that um, there's a a self identification, self identifying article, which is aute, which autos uh, is myself mm -hmm. and aute is like the word for her mm -hmm. so for those <clears throat> for, excuse me for those of you following along aute is the word that looks like it starts with a jesus fish followed by a curvy v with an apostrophe over it and then a t and an n with a really long leg with a squiggly line and a goatee underneath it so that is what we're talking about right now. Yes. So Aute is the article here that's used um, for ek, main ectos, which main is month, and ectos is six. Now I did say that ectos is a in it is a masculine form, mm -hmm. and it is in its root form. Okay. It is masculine, but in this case, which is also native case. Mm -hmm. Um, because it has the goatee underneath Aute, that means it's dative, which means it's placing a setting. It's placing a, the context of a setting, place, time mm -hmm. type of thing. So it means that ektos is now translated as a feminine descriptor for main. Because of Aute. Because of Aute. Which indicates it's a, it's feminine. a woman. Okay. Yeah, because Aute is, is in relation to Elizabeth. Okay. So that's the difference. So like this sixth month is in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy. Mm -hmm. That's what it means. Mm -hmm. But in 26, it's just saying the calendar sixth month mm -hmm. because it's, it doesn't have <clears throat> any self-identifying uh, article like Altas or Aute mm -hmm. for Mary. And it doesn't show any feminine version of Ectas or any... Uh, any feminine declension in the sen in the sentence in the mm -hmm. verse in twenty six, all it is is a a date. We can say it's some form of date uh, in this context, which is in the sixth month. It means in the sixth month of the year. We're assuming. We're assuming. We don't know any. Reiterate. We don't know any of this for sure, but because we don't like you, you came to this conclusion based on the fact that. Just in verse 24, it was talking about Elizabeth's first five months of her pregnancy. Right. And then in the in verse 26, all of a sudden it switches to a, a right a neutered, um, like a like a gender neutral kind of mm -hmm. term ecto, right? Mm -hmm. there, because it would have been ectos again, right? If it was talking about yeah. her sixth yes. month of pregnancy. If it was talking about Elizabeth's sixth month, it'd be in the feminine declension. Uh, in the dative case, which would have been a main ectos aute, mm -hmm. which is her sixth month. But in this, it's not. Mm -hmm. We can suspect that this is the sixth month of the calendar year. Which is super cool because in English, that, that phrase translates the same in both verses, but in Greek, it, it in looks Greek. so different. It because, matters in the Greek. Yeah. yeah. So I, just, I think that's really cool Yeah. that you were able to parse that out. Yeah, so that's my take on the Greek language. That's really cool. We have more? Oh, yeah. So if we're assuming, again, assuming, suspecting, we can't prove, obviously, with our limited knowledge that it is actually the sixth calendar month. Mm -hmm. um, but we tend to, the more that we did the research... The more that we kind of, and looking in the, at the Greek of it, um, which Thad was so kind to bear into. And <laughs> I mean, it was... It was it's a, been a couple of years since I looked at Greek. Only a year, so, right? Okay, it's been only a year. <laughs> but only a year feels like a couple of years That's when true. you're learning a language. That's true. Especially Greek. Um, well, it's all Greek to me, so... Well, uh, <laughs> okay. Okay. No, but in all seriousness, okay. So, yeah, so looking at this, like the more that we dug into it, the more that we kind of felt like maybe it was the 6th calendar month because yeah. not only because of the Greek, um, but because it feels redundant to have in the 6th month 
twice within 10 verses if it's not referring to two different quote-unquote sixth months yeah right so because in verse 36 it's clearly putting a time stamp on it by saying elizabeth's sixth month right which is then further corroborated by you know when john we know john was conceived when um zechariah returned returned home and so there's two solid ways of placing when jesus was conceived so why would luke put a third one in there referencing the same like date of elizabeth's sixth month yeah the 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 um conclusion that we came to and that the the author of um that new testament chronology um website we were talking about earlier the no woe zone one the conclusion that we came to was that it was referencing a different sixth month, a.k.a. the sixth calendar month. Yeah. Um, which, after reading that in the article, we then looked at it in the Greek and saw, oh, this could be, you know, because I thought, well, what if, I mean, this would be a fairly easy thing. Like, if it's supposed to be Elizabeth's sixth month, it would be in the feminine form. Yeah. But, so Thad but looked into it, and it's not. So that kind of lends credibility to the theory. So yeah. then if we're subscribing to that theory... Let's enter the realm further into the realm of hypothesis. Um, which calendar are we yeah. using? Which I didn't even know was a debate. Uh, apparently, there were two calendars in use in this region at this time. Which the mo- the majority of this following information is going to come from that no woe zone article, um, because I'm not much of a history buff. So wading through historical when did certain eras end is not yeah. my strong point. But I did the best I could. <laughs> so basically, at this time, there were two calendars in use. There was the Roman, which was obvious because the Roman um, Empire was at its height or whatever, right. and they had obviously instituted their own calendar. The other one that I didn't even know existed until you sent me this article was the Syro Macedonian calendar, um, which was introduced during the Seleucid era, mm-hmm. um, introduced by Alexander the Great over three centuries ago, um, which I guess would have been pre the Seleucid era, because I remember the Alexander's family line was before this. Anyways. I'm getting off topic. Um, So anyways, so the Syro-Macedonian calendar was used by the Greek people at this point, which our early Jewish ancestors would have been a part of kind of that culture. Or they would have used that same. Um, Luke was a Greek from Antioch, which meant it's highly likely he was using the Syro-Macedonian calendar. So... He was also writing his gospel, in which we find the birth account, to Theophilus, who is another Greek currently living in Antioch. So it's likely that they were both, they both would have referenced the Syro-Macedonian calendar, which began at a different point in the year than the Roman calendar did. Mm. Because the Syro-Macedonian calendar, their New Year's Day fell on whatever day the beginner of that era of kings ascended mm, the throne. Yeah. So like that Seleucid era that I mentioned earlier, there's some debate about when it actually began because there was some crossover between Seleucid I and um, Alexander the Fourth, who was a child king who died around age 14 but it was so regardless there was some crossover between the ending of one era and the beginning of another which is significant because that's where the difficulty in placing the exact time of jesus's birth comes in because there's some debate about what year the seleucid era began and the reign of with the reign of seleucid the first um and there's also a debate about when within the year it began, um, like what day, um, which is significant because we need to know what they're marking as their the beginning of the new year in order to calculate the sixth calendar month. Right. According to this guy, which the, new, the No Woe Zone article, 
he says that the the new year was in the fall month of Dios, which is the sixth month, or so which make makes the sixth month a month called Xanakos, Xanthakos, um, which this the sixth month would have fallen from our dates March tenth to April seventh which meant that Jesus was conceived approximately the middle of that month on around March 25th, which is the traditionally celebrated date for the Annunciation, a.k.a. the day that Gabriel announced to Mary that she would be pregnant. Hmm. Um, it's also incidentally around the date of the vernal equinox. I don't know what that has to do with this, but this guy says it's important. Oh, because it gives us a point for dating. The dates of the vernal equinox during that year in 5 BCE, which... Actually, is not possible now that I'm reading this because Herod died in 4, 4 BC. Mm -hmm. Oh, wait, no, this would be possible then because that was a year before he died. Yeah, whatever. I'm going backwards in time. So the vernal equinox that year occurred on March 22nd slash 23rd, a.k.a. nine months later, Jesus could have been born in December. Yeah. If we go by that. We go by that. So... Syro Macedonian is the assumed calendar because of where they lived. It's the easiest one to assume because of their heritage. Um, it's the hardest one to place because of the crossover between the kings, and we don't know exactly when the um, Seleucid area would have began, which is not found in the No Woe Zone article. It's found in a separate article that I found on. Um, I don't remember what website this was on, but it was uh, an article written by, I'm going to butcher this name, Yehuda Ben-Dor from Tel Aviv. It's called A Note on the Two Seleucid Eras. So it's not anything that has to do with biblical history, but it's purely putting, trying to put a timestamp on when the first Seleucid era began. Hmm. And so in this article, I learned that there's actually... Because of that crossover, there's a debate about what year and when it when in the year it started. So it means, I mean, traditionally, it's thought to have begun in the fall. But he found some evidence, and I cannot remember for the life of me what it was, that the solicit area might have actually begun in the spring. Hmm. So I don't know what to do with this. This is going to be an era, area of further exploration for me because I feel like there should be some definitive answer out there as to when this started because it's history. But, you know, we were keeping records at that point. Yeah. So somebody somewhere has to know this answer. And If, if you're listening, please, please tell uh, me. give us feedback. Because I'm just going <laughs> in circles in my head. Um, yeah. so, it, so, okay. So that's the first calendar, yeah. right? So that's why... So the Syro-Macedonian calendar... If they abided by that, it would place Jesus' birth in December. When we celebrate when it. When we celebrate it. Right. Like, recognize it. Right. The other calendar. Right. So the other calendar that we mentioned is the Roman. The Roman. Which most people at first glance would be like, why in the world would it even be possible that they were following the Roman calendar? Of course they were following the Syro-Macedonian calendar because they were both Greek. Yeah. Well, I would agree with you on that. But... We have to present both sides of the argument, and here's the other side. The other side is that within Luke's letter, specifically Luke 1, verse 3, he addresses Theophilus in his opening, Most Excellent Theophilus, which apparently is also used when Lysias wrote to the Roman governor Felix and when Paul addressed Felix and Festus. So Lysias and Paul both called important Roman officials most excellent, most excellent in their letters, which makes people think that most excellent is a term applied only to Roman officials, oh. which so makes people think that Theophilus, Theophilus is, a Roman is a Roman official. Interesting. Problems with this. Okay. One... Luke never refers to anyone else as most excellent. We don't see that in the, in the Bible. He doesn't address a Roman person as most excellent. Mm -hmm. Two, there is a, 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 I guess there is a portion where he writes the phrase most excellent, 
but that was only when he was reporting the words of the Roman citizens Lysias and Paul when they addressed Romans. So like he was writing down what they said. They said most excellent. So he wrote it down. Gotcha. So that's the only instance it's used in his writings, I guess. I haven't looked into that. Mm-hmm. But according to this article, that's the only instances it was used. The other issue is that Theophilus is a Greek name living, and he's living in a Greek city. And Luke is Greek. Yeah. Which to me would indicate that they would be using a similar calendar, the same calendar, and it would to me it would be the Syro Macedonian. Because how confusing would it be to be living in a Greek region? Yeah, and using the Roman calendar. Using a Roman calendar. Yeah. I mean, you and your neighbor would celebrate New Year's Day four months apart. Right. Like that's just confusing. So, anyways, I tend to subscribe to the Syro Macedonian calendar theory. Yeah. I also will agree with that. I that's what I believe they used, uh, since it was their heritage and it was yeah, it was part of their heritage and their culture. So why would Luke use the Roman calendar? Right. Theophilus is not a Roman. Yeah. That we know of. I mean his name does not indicate Roman heritage. Also if you know if he was a Roman or not, give us feedback. (laughs) Um, We're just gonna have people teaching us this. Yeah. Yeah. Um (laughs) all right. So that's that. Cool. Yeah. We suspect cool. a lot of things. We suspect a lot of things. There's also a lot of things we don't know. Which is kind of wrapped up in our suspicions. Right. So, needless to say, this will be a lifelong study for me. Yeah, this this might be a thesis for me someday <laughs> when I'm in seminary. So, um, oh, funny. we'll see where that goes. That I think we covered everything. That was dense. That was... Much denser than Much I more dense than I thought it was gonna be. And honestly, like the point the point of us doing this is just out of curiosity. Mm-hmm. But like it doesn't it doesn't affect our faith. No. Like the point that we need to remember is Jesus was born. Yeah. He's born as an infant. Mm-hmm. An infant that needed to learn how to speak, walk, and be taught all these things by humans. So our God became a human and learned from humans how to live, basically. And his infant his infant form, he was using lungs that had never been used before in the manger. I'm just relishing in the Reveling. Reveling. <laughs> reveling. Oh no. I am chopped up pickles. I am <laughs> I am reveling in the just the the pure humility. Mm that Jesus took on. I think that's how I'm going to end today. Elisha, thank you for joining me. You're so welcome. Thank you for having me. Definitely was a good conversation, really dense. Elisha will be back for another episode sometime in the future. That will be even more of a dense topic. Uh, Less chaotic. Less chaotic than this one, yes, for sure. So, in conclusion, to all of you who are listening, I hope that you gained some new uh revelations in this part two of the christmas special um all about jesus birth and i hope that uh god is using you to further his kingdom in whatever season you are in right now man that's dense